God, have you abandoned us forever? Uh, I mean, for almost 200 years, it was just one thing after the other. The northern kingdom fell. The southern kingdom fell. Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed. The temple was conquered and robbed. And, and you remember the stories of, of, uh, of Babylon where, the, where some of the temple treasures were actually taken back to the capital of Babylon. And, and so um, the, the, the temple had been plundered. The walls of Jerusalem had come down. The temple had been destroyed. And for almost 200 years, it just seemed like God had abandoned his people. Um, That must have surely been what they were thinking. And then along comes a guy who is actually in the Persian capital of Susa, serving the king of Persia as a cupbearer, and he gets a vision to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, right? His name's Nehemiah. It's the book that we're reading today. And And the question that he must have returned to and the question that the people, the few people that were left in Jerusalem must have been asking, has God abandoned us forever? Have we failed to keep his promises so much that, that he finally has just decided to leave us alone and now we're just going to slip into history as we're conquered by all these other people? Um, but what happens, if you'll read with me in Nehemiah chapter 6 in verses 15 and 16, look with me there. Nehemiah comes back, and we've read through so much of this already that uh, I won't bore you with the details. But anyway, uh, Nehemiah 6 verses 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Okay, so a couple of things happen, right? They're working and there's all these threats, and you all have heard me talk about this all this time, but they had enemies there. And some of the governors of, the, of that area that had, been impo- that had been appointed by the Persians um, were coming up and saying, if you keep building the wall, we're going to come in and kill you. They keep going through the threats. They pray for God for help. And you remember some of the stories? It's kind of cool. They've got people standing at the breaches of the wall with bows and arrows and swords. They're protecting their own people from any onslaught of any of their enemies. Even the people who are carrying the materials or carrying the bricks. They've got a spear in one hand and they're carrying bricks or something apparently in the other or wood beams or whatever. It says at one point, there's not, not very well understood phrase from the Hebrew, but it says that, that, uh, he, that, that, that Nehemiah and his fellow officials didn't even change their clothes. It's really not clear what that means, but it's what it sounds like is they were so busy defending the city that they didn't even have time to change clothes. So even in, in defending uh, their city. So here we go, and we talk, kind of talked about this last week, but what had happened is all these people started to, to get a permission to return to Jerusalem. And these people had lived and grown up apart, and I'm not talking about them. Their grandparents had been taken captive and grown up in other parts, and they all started to be able to come back to Jerusalem. And God used this time of the rebuilding the wall, but God wasn't only rebuilding the wall, he was rebuilding his people. It was, it's just a beautiful thing. And so you, send, you see brother defending brother. You see people working outside their houses for the common good. It is a beautiful picture, a metaphor of the body of Christ, if you, if you will. When you see it, I, I hope that you'll think about the historic context, but also think about it in terms about what's said of the body in the New Testament, that there are people of one, of a, a unified purpose, a unified calling, all of them fulfilling their purpose in the body. You've got people defending. You've got people carrying materials. You've got groups of people who are assigned to, re- to rebuild the gates that had been burned up by fire, and they're all coming. And then people outside, just the common, everyday, ordinary people are rebuilding the wall outside of their houses so that they can uh, rebuild the whole wall. And it's like an army of ordinary people doing an extraordinary feat. And the wall that had been fallen down for 140 years 
was rebuilt in 52 days. It, it was a Her- Herculean feat, absolutely incredible that it, that it had pulled together. And so obviously a work of God that the people of Israel are stirred up, and we're going to read about that this morning, but also their enemies were demoralized because they know this couldn't have happened without the help of their God. Okay, an incredible thing has happened, an amazing thing. And if there was ever any question in their mind about whether God had abandoned them There was a resounding answer when all this came together in the midst of all the threats, in the midst of all the threats of violence and and in all the threats against their leaders. There was a resounding, no, God has not forgotten. He has not abandoned. He remembers his promise to his people and he's returned a, a remnant of people back into Jerusalem and he's rebuilt the temple and he's rebuilding the walls. Just a beautiful story. So flip over with me now to Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to read this chapter uh, fairly quickly here this morning. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start in the middle of the last verse of of chapter 7. But anyway, it says, When the seventh month came around and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people were assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Let me tell you really quickly who Ezra is. Nehemiah had come from Persia or from Susa, and he had come to lead the people specifically. God had given him, apparently, God had given him a specific calling and a vision about how to restore the wall. Ezra had come 13 years prior, and he was a scribe. Well, not only was he a scribe, he was also uh, would be a priest. And where, where, um, where Nehemiah had come to restore physically what was lacking in the shame of Israel being defenseless and in trouble, Ezra would come and build spiritually, would come back and build, rebuild Jerusalem. And I tell you, I get so excited. I've been, I've been looking forward to preaching this particular sermon since I t- was thinking last year about, about doing, uh, preaching through Nehemiah. So anyway, so Ezra, Ezra's going to come. Ezra had gotten there 13 years prior. Did I say that yet? 13 years prior to Nehemiah. What, what Nehemiah did physically, Ezra would do spiritually for the Lord. He's called to lead the people into a spiritual rebuilding. Okay, um, and just so you don't miss out, these were defeated people. These were people who didn't even know each other except for the exiles who would come back. These were people who grew up, their grandparents had been captives, uh, had been carried off as captives. And, and these were second and third generation captives, exiles in other countries who had finally got to come back. It's like the Exodus kind of all over again where they got to return to Jerusalem, right? They didn't know each other. There was no common heritage together except they knew what their fathers and their grandfathers had taught them and preached to them and taught them, uh, had taught them and their moms had taught them and grandmothers. But they come back and, and then there starts to be this sense of unity together as the Lord was rebuilding uh, them spiritually. So Ezra, the, high, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and who, others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. This hadn't happened in, in, uh, in, a, in 140 years. There had been no reading of the law there in Jerusalem. It had been completely silent. And, and the, so the people didn't know the word of God. It's not like, you know, we, you and I take this so much for granted, right? We all have a copy. How many of you have more than one copy, copy of the Bible? Yeah, how many have the Bible apps on your devices? Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. If it's not on your apps, right, it's on the Internet. You can do everything, anything that you'd ever want to. Um, here, these, these, these copies were rare. To have, to, to, to have a copy of the Scriptures would have been kept by the Levites or the priests and the scribes, and, and it would have been rare to see it and rare to hear it. 
And for 140 years, probably these people had never heard the word of God. They'd grown up two and three generations later and had probably never heard the word of God. Listen to what happens when they hear the word of God, and let's compare it to how we hear the word of God sometimes. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him were the high, his, on his right stood, uh, here we go, Mattathiah, Shema, and uh, let's see, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseiah. Uh, before and on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, okay, help me out with that one, Hashbadana, that's not right, Zechariah, and Meshalam. I'll go, it's so, I tell you what, if you have a, a Bible dictionary or something with you, it is so cool, yeah, I, I, I know, I butchered those. Um, if you have a Bible dictionary, it's so cool to go back and look at what some of those names mean, but we're not going to have time for it this morning. Anyway, Ezra opened the book, probably a scroll. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, all the people stood up. Why do you suppose they stood in reverence for the reading of the word of God, right? Okay, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. That's used, the, the, the words the great God is used all throughout Nehemiah, really cool. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And because it's mentioned there twice, it just talks about the emotion that they were feeling as they were hearing the word of God. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbat, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, uh, Kel, I lost my place, Kelita, Azariah, some of them sound Spanish, don't they? A lot of things sound Spanish when I say them. Josabad, Hanat, Peleah, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Okay, so what's happening? Ezra's reading the word, and while he's reading it, the Levites are down there with the people, telling them and explaining to them what it means, right? They've, they've been so separated from the word of God, they need someone to instruct them and tell them to, so that they know what it means because they don't know it on their own. They read from the book of the law and of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Okay, it doesn't say specifically here, but as they're reading the law and as it's being explained to them by the Levites, the people begin to weep. How come? Maybe it's because all the things that the Lord had done for them and they're just absolutely overwhelmed to hear his words now to them and all of the promises that had been, had been made to them in the first five books of the Bible about how he would establish them as his people, that they would be set apart by the law, that they would be his people and he would be their God. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's that they had no clue what the law said and what they were required to, and they had fallen so far away from what the law was that they were weeping in repentance. Don't really know. Either way, um, an incredible response to the reading of the word of God. All right, before I go on much further, right, we got to talk about this. We become so dull to the reading of the word of God, and we've heard the stories a thousand times. If you grew up in Sunday school, if you grew up in church, you've heard them all a thousand times, and they begin to have, that begins to have a dulling effect on our reading of the word of God. And it's almost like, you know, I've, I've talked to some of our leadership at times. You see people kind of come in and out of church and you find out later that they have some horrific sin problem in their lives. And it's almost like they were in church just enough to get an immunization against God having full control of their lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, think about it, it'll make sense later. All right. 
Um, but you see that, and it happens in church circles, um, honestly. So, uh, but, but, the, uh, but, the, but the thing to remember is, is that look how they responded to the word of God when it was read. And, and, and really, if it weren't for our sinful hearts, wouldn't this be our response all the time? Wouldn't we raise our hands in worship? Wouldn't we bow down with our faces to the ground? It's the word of God. It is God has decided in his love and his mercy to tell us about himself. And miraculously, really, through incredible attempts to keep this out of our hands by the schemes of evil men and the schemes of the enemy, you and I have this in old language, new language, newer language, newer, newer language, on the, on the Internet, on our computers, on our phones. You know, even the church was trying to keep this out of your hands uh, a few centuries before, uh, right, which is one of the reasons for the Protestant Revolution. Go Martin Luther. Um, but uh, uh, incredible things that we have it here today, and we take it for granted so badly. When you open up the word, remember what you've got. This is God communicating who he is and what he's done to um, to save, to redeem a fallen creation, including you and me. It's an incredible thing to have it in your hands. It is a treasure to have it in your hands, not just sitting on the bookshelf. Yeah, take it down, wear it out. Amen? All right, okay. Fall on your face. It's, it's all good. You know, raise your hand, shout amen, amen. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, um, so, but, they, we, but they wept. We don't know why. Nehemiah in verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy cho- choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to probably stop there, Jason, um, and just want to hit a couple things. One is, the first thing is, one of the things that's interesting and is always included in the law of Israel and is certainly included in the New Testament law of love is taking care of the poor among you. It is one of the things that we are called to do. And, you know, sometimes we all get in a place where we're feeling a little pity for ourselves because of whatever things we have going on in our lives. Do you know the most pitiful people in the world, write this down. This is incredibly profound. I thought about it months ago. I'm going to share it with you now. I'm just going to get But, no, it's really good. The most, the, the, the most miserable people think only about themselves. True? Yeah, now I'm sure I stole that from someone, but I can't remember who it was. I, it's almost like it was an original thought, probably not. Um, the most miserable people think only of themselves. Listen, if you want to be less miserable in your life, do something for someone else. It, it is a source of true joy. There is a reason that the scriptures talk about uh, you know, us having a selfless attitude and, and considering in the church we're supposed to consider other people more important than us more important than, than ourselves. We're supposed to live selflessly. We're supposed to live where, where we keep things with a very loose hand and, and we live generous lives is what we're called to do as we, as we live like Jesus did, who gave what? Everything. Right. If you and I are to follow Jesus, we will be generous people. There's just no other way around it. The most miserable pe- people think only of themselves. You want to be less miserable in your life? Do something for someone else. Amen. Uh, and actually, I heard a study a couple of years ago that talked about this very fact. It said, um, it said one of the ways that researchers have determined that people are happier is that people who are focused on the lives of other people, uh, right? I, I mean, the psychology works because it's people beginning to look more like their creator, which is what we were created to be like. Amen. All right. Okay. 
but then that's not the only thing. The, the, the last thing I want to talk about is what, what Nehemiah says here is the Lord, sorry, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, what an incredible statement. And, and I, boy, I, I don't even know if I can touch this today, but Lord help us, maybe we can get grasp this a little bit. The joy of the Lord is your strength. How is the joy of the Lord our strength? And I'll be honest, I've thought about this for weeks, and I don't know that I, I still don't have it figured out exactly. But, um, but here's what I think. Well, a couple of questions. Does that mean that God has joy, and then his joy he passes on to us, and so we have his joy, and somehow that joy becomes our strength? Or does it mean that somehow in knowing God we have joy, and that is the joy that gives us strength? No, I don't really know. But anyway, uh, but, but here's what I think. In the context of what we're reading, let's remember what's happened. These are a broken, defeated, helpless, defenseless people. They had been raised in captives in other areas, and they come back together. And through the leadership of, of Nehemiah, they all begin to work together, and they all begin to come together, and they accomplish a feat that no one thought was possible. Ordinary people did an extraordinary thing right? Did an amazing thing when they, when they worked together to fulfill God's calling on their lives. And in the middle of it, they all come together. There's a sense of this community rebuilding. There's, there must be a sense of, of, uh, of maybe God is still faithful to his promises. Maybe he hasn't abandoned us. Maybe this is proof that God still has love for his people, Israel. Maybe he's not done with us. Maybe he hasn't abandoned us. Maybe we are still his people and maybe his promises are still in effect. And then Ezra opens up the scrolls and he begins reading the Pentateuch and it starts talking to them about this, this group of people who, who all started with, with, with Jacob and, and, and who would become Israel and his sons became the tribes and about how those people were all really were a group of people uh, called together, chosen by God, set apart by God through the law and would become a body that he would bless and prosper and had promises to fulfill for them. And in the middle of all that, uh, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I can only imagine that what's happened here is these people have finally got a glimpse of who God is. They've finally got a glimpse of what God has done for them generation after generation after generation. And what's coming in chapter 9 when you read it this week is that you're going to see they're going to go through a short history of God's interaction with Israel, and it's a beautiful thing. What he's going to say over and over again, what the Levites as they're praying are going to say is, is that we were unfaithful. Our forefathers were unfaithful over and over and over and over again. But God has been faithful despite our sin. Despite our wandering, he's continued to be faithful. And so they get this glimpse of God as this faithful, loving, this stubborn love that he has for them, that he will not let them go, and he will not let them fall, and he will not abandon them no matter how faithless they've been, no matter how many times they've turned away from him, generation after generation after generation. And they begin to see themselves as God's chosen people. And the joy of the Lord is their strength. I think when you and I get to those places where we're feeling abandoned, where we wonder where God has gone, if we'll go back and we'll remember all the things that God has done for us individually, what God has done for his body that is in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us all when we remember that, somehow that joy, somehow that brings joy to our lives when we begin to see God in a new way, in a new perspective. And somehow that joy turns to strength because our troubles seem a little bit smaller when we get to know the 
hugeness of our God and his love and his favor for us. Amen? Somehow that joy turns to strength. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. Amen? Amen? Let me close like this. God did an extraordinary thing for his people. Amen? God used ordinary people to accomplish an extraordinary work. He had called them, and he had not abandoned them, and he used them to to rebuild Jerusalem so that he could continue to show his love and his favor for them. You, us, the church at Calvary Baptist Church, we have been chosen by God as much as the Israelites had been. Amen? We have been chosen by God. We are his people. And I don't care what is going on in your life. He has not and he will not abandon you, right? He is the most faithful father, father ever to exist. He remains faithful to us no matter what we have going on in our lives, amen? And he will not abandon us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us despite every shortcoming that we have, every sin problem that we have. He will not leave us, amen? Because we are his people. And listen, here's the other thing. God continues to this day to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And he has a calling for your life and for my life. He has a calling for us together as a body here at Calvary. He has gifted each one of us with a spiritual gift to work together to accomplish his goal. And one of the things I'm praying for for us and our leadership is praying for us this year is that the Lord would make much more clear what he's called this group of people to in this community, at this time, with the giftings he's given all of us for what he has for us here in Canyon, Texas. Amen? Amen. It's an extraordinary thing to be part of God's family. It's an extraordinary thing to be part of the body of Christ. Amen? And to work together when we are God's people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this example of, um, of your work. We thank you, Father, that you did not abandon yeah, through all the sin, through all the idolatry of your people, you never left them alone. You always were, were faithful to a remnant. You were always saving and redeeming and, and bringing back a, just an, another exodus of, of people as, as they left the countries where they'd been held captive and, and were returned to Jerusalem. And, and you built them back up just as surely as you, built, you helped them rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You rebuilt the spiritual lives of your people. And Father, I pray that we would have that same kind of response as your people did in the day of Nehemiah. Lord, when we hear your word, Lord, may it, may it touch us new and fresh. May we be overwhelmed with joy and, and weeping at times because of, 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 of sin and, and, and our need for repentance and confession. But, but may we celebrate like the Israelites did too as we enjoy your favor. May we eat food together. May we rejoice together because of all of your goodness. And Lord God, may it be true of us like it was of them. May your joy be our strength, Lord God, as we remember who you are and what you've done. When we remember your great love and your great favor toward us, Lord God, may it give us strength for our lives as we go through some of the struggles we have, as we go through some of the the trials that we face. May your joy be our strength. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here. Great to see you guys. Enjoy the sparkly rest of the day, and uh, y'all have a great week.